Welcome to the podcast of Celebration Christian Church located in Punta Cana, Dominican Republic. I am Pastor Jonathan Autry, and we will strive each week to bring you the fundamental principles of what the Bible says on how you can truly live and lead a Christian life. Everyone has their own opinion of how we should live, but the question is, what does the Bible say? It is only through His Word that we can truly find the answers. So open your mind, open your heart, and let God guide you through His Word. In the name of Jesus, let us praise the Lord. Amen. We are not exempt from the troubles of life. Just because we're Christians, just because we testify that God lives in us, just because we have accepted Him into our lives, doesn't mean that we are free from the tribulations and trials. The Bible actually says that we will encounter many tribulations and trials because of our faith. It is because of our faith that we will see a lot of tribulations and trials. You know, just whenever I see great things coming in the kingdom and God doing great things, the immediate thought that comes to me is I need to brace myself because I know in the moment the good things start happening, Satan is going to start kicking. He's going to start discouraging. He's going to start pouring water on the fire. He's going to find any and every way to keep the momentum from going. To keep from good things going. And he's going to come after God's children. He's going to come after us because we are his hands and feet. We are the ones that are going out and doing great things for the kingdom. So if he can stop us, he can stop great things from happening. God is going to do his will and he's going to do it through us. But because of the tribulations and trials that we sometimes face, we will limit God. We will stop God from doing great things. Does everyone here this morning believe that you have been called and been gifted to serve him and do things for him? That the kingdom of God, that responsibility has been put on our shoulders to grow that kingdom? I do. I believe that our church, Celebration Christian Church, can be actively part of the growing of the kingdom of God. But if we limit what we will do, if we limit and are hindered, and allow those tribulations to keep us from actually getting up every morning, picking up our cross and following him, then we limit what God can do in our lives. Ephesians 6.12 says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness and high places. You have to understand something. This isn't a physical war. This isn't a physical fight. No matter how much you run every morning, no matter how many hours you spend in the gym, no matter how physically fit you make yourself, it's not going to help you. It's not going to transfer into this spiritual war that we are facing on a daily basis. The enemy is very real. And in case you didn't know, the enemy does have power. The enemy does have power. I was having this discussion with someone the other day. Actually, it was just yesterday we were talking about this. You know how Satan, the enemy has power and can do things. And how we also, having God on our side, we have no enemy. God is all powerful. He is more powerful than our enemy. But if we go into this spiritual warfare thinking that we already have the victory, thinking that we don't have to fight, that we don't have to understand 
that we are in a spiritual warfare, then he is going to get the best of us every single time. I say the higher the foot, the, the higher the, the stool we're sitting on, the greater the fall. The greater the fall. In humility, we need to understand our God is greater, but our enemy, our adversary is great. He is powerful. He is strong. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We face an underworld battle against things unseen and unknown. Knowing the difference between the righteous and the unrighteous brings us the greatest daily battle. That's why church is so important. That is why staying in the word is so important. That is why prayer is so important. That is why you understanding your relationship with Jesus Christ is so important. Something else I say many, many times. If you think coming to church once a week and hearing a 40-minute sermon is going to get you through the week, you're sadly mistaken. That's not what the relationship is all about. And even though I am glad you are here this morning and you need to be in God's house, the Bible tells us that not forsaking the assembly. We need to be here, just like I said last week when we talked about time. This is part of our Christian walk. This is, this is what's going to fortify you as a Christian. But it's about the day in, day out. It's about what you do with what we do here on a daily basis that's going to make it count. I was those type of person. I like to be that type of person. That I wake up every Monday preparing myself Friday, Saturday, and Sunday that Monday I'm going to start eating right. Monday's the day the diet starts. I'm going to have a salad for dinner every single day. I'm going to make sure I eat a lot of protein. I cut out the sugars and I cut out all the carbs and I'm just going to start eating healthy Monday. And Monday my day gets started wonderfully. I get to the gym. I get home. I drink my protein shake. And about Till 7 o'clock at night when I open my fridge and for some reason I see a piece of chocolate cake sitting there. I'm like, well, maybe next Monday we can start this. But to what good does it do you to diet for one day when there's six other days in the week? What good does it do you to come once a week to church if you're not going to exercise God's living relationship in your life on a daily basis and that's what we need to understand as we go through tribulations if we are not spiritually strong and prepared for those tribulations it will cost us great things that god can do in us and around us how do we as christians turn our tribulations to him that's a great question for me because god knows that i face them i have those troubles i have those tribulations so how do I transfer my tribulations, my trials, how do I turn them over to him? Is it just that simple of raising my hands and saying, I can't do this anymore, you've got to do it? What does it look like to turn my tribulations over to him? David is living in the world of sin among the Philistines. This is a story we're in this morning, okay? Just to lay a little context. He is not with Israel right now. He is literally living with the same enemy he had conquered so long before as a young man. He's living with the Philistines. He's warring with them, going to war with them. He is making friendships with them. He is making family with them. 
This is where he is literally living right now in the moment of this story. He is rejected and sent away to be with the Philistines. He is questioning everything about life at this moment. You know when you find yourself and you know you're in a good space, you're in a good spot, spiritually you feel good, and then all of a sudden you, you come into this rough patch of life where you kind of feel separated from everything. I don't know about you, but there's been different times in my life where I have literally felt like I have a brick wall placed in my spiritual life. And I'm kind of like going through the motions of going to church. I'm going through the motions of maybe reading some verses here and there and listening to good and positive things. And all this time, I am going through the motions, but I know that there's this brick wall that's set up in my life where I feel that there's nothing penetrating. There's nothing getting to me. And it's not the speaker that's on the other side of my phone. It's not the pastor that's not bringing a good word. It's not God's word. It's just that I have stuff in my life that I have built up that is not allowing God to work in my life. I have made these structures in my life. I have put up these walls where as much as the preaching as I'm hearing, as much of good people I'm surrounded by, I just can't receive all the goodness that God is wanting to pour into me. And we see that David is in this place right now where he has probably built up a fortress around him. This blockade that does not allow him to live in a place of peace. He is in this spiritual warfare on a daily basis, knowing that he is living with the enemy. We're in 1 Samuel chapter 30. We're going to read verses 1 through 5, okay? 1 Samuel chapter 30, verses 1 through 5. And it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag and smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken the women captives that were therein. They slew not any either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. Let me just kind of break down verses 1 and 2. So David is living with the Philistines. The Amalekites come in. The men aren't there. The men of war aren't there to protect the city, to protect the camp. The Amalekites come in. Verse 2 says that they took all the women captives. They didn't kill one thing. Which means, it tells you that there was, no, there was no war. There was no fight. They came in and found a camp that was completely vulnerable. Question, Christian, are you vulnerable this morning? Are you vulnerable this morning? Are you open to the attack of the enemy? Are there places in your life, doors that you have left open that the enemy could just walk right through on? I mean, it's something that we need to question. My troubles aren't your troubles. Maybe an area where I feel confident and strong in might be your greatest weakness. And your greatest weakness could be my greatest weakness also. There's certain areas in my life that I would be ashamed to share with you this morning because I know that there are weaknesses that if I don't prepare myself and if I'm not careful, I could easily fall in. Listen, I don't think anyone in here could be quite prone to gambling like me. Oh, just the lights and the bells and the whistles and everything. The, the thought that I could actually win. 
Oh my goodness, that that would be probably my area. So what do I do? I would never, ever, ever, even if someone said, here, pastor, here's $500, go blow it in Las Vegas. I'd be like, nope, thank you, I'm good. Because I'd blow that $500 probably in the first 10 minutes, and I'd be like, I could take an extension out on my credit card. <laughs> I could win a million dollars. I got this. So what do I do? I just completely stay away from it. I don't even go. I've been invited to go to Las Vegas for conferences, and I'm like, no, I don't even want to get near that place. Because then it's like, well, you know, you got to go to a casino. You're in Las Vegas for crying out loud. You know, who cares if you went for a pastor conference? Just, just have the experience. You can't not go, right? I mean, my mind would just be working overtime on trying to find all the reasons why I should go and then trying to find all the reasons why I can't go. Are you leaving an open door this morning? They didn't, they didn't kill anything, not great or small, but carried it all the way to their camp. Verse 3, so David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. They knew immediately what had happened because when they got there, they didn't find a lot of bloodshed. They didn't find People that were murdered because of war. They didn't find animals that were killed. They didn't find anything other than that their whole city had been looted. Everything had been taken away. Everything had been taken captive. Everything had been kidnapped or stolen. They knew exactly what was going on. Can I say this? Maybe, maybe I just think a little bit differently. But I think that that would be the most horrifying feeling for a person to know that a loved one has been taken by someone else and not knowing what is happening. I dare say there might even be a little bit more peace in knowing that that person is no longer alive than knowing that that person is being taken away and going through horrific terrible things i mean could you imagine what's going through david's mind right now they took my wives yeah he had two don't ask me david was a guy that loved problems i got enough with one right amen <laughs> he had two wives daughters they were all kidnapped you get where my mind's going right now what is happening to his wives and to his daughters right now the enemy has them they didn't kill them. They took them away, kidnapped them as captives. David is in complete despair and hysteria. Verse 4, then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. David and the Philistines, all his enemies, they're joined in their grief because they are just they have no, and that's the terrible thing about sin sometimes. And when we leave these open doors for the enemy to come in, we know that we have those weaknesses in our lives. And then we give in to those weaknesses. And when it's too late, then we're sorry. Then we're sorry. Instead of slamming the door closed when we have the chance, we actually permit that door to be open. And then when the enemy does walk in and he destroys us, then 
we fall in our grief. Then we're saddened. Then we're crying. Then we're in despair. But we had the chance. In Corinthians, it says that we will not be tempted more than what we can withhold, withstand. And that with every temptation that God would allow us a door of escape. I'm paraphrasing here because I want to break it down how clear it is. And God gives us opportunities. Now David is just besides himself. Verse 5 says, And David's two wives were taken captives, Anoam and uh, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite. David arrives waiting the comforts and love of home only to find destruction and loss. I know this feeling all too good, not the destruction and loss part, but I know what to expect when I'm coming home after a long trip. There have been times where I have had to leave my family for up to two and three months at a time. Many times that has happened where I have been away from my wife and kids for that long. Many times. My brother's in the military, and he's had to leave his wife and kids for up to six months. But if you take all his tours and add them up, I've been away from my family triple the time he's been away from his family. I mean, it's like I leave and I come back and I find things out about my kids that they're growing up and I'm not even there around them to see them grow up. But I know what it's like to come home after a trip like that. You've been gone for three months. You're coming home. And, you know, my picture perfect is I'm coming home to an Italian cream cake. Swedish meatballs, one of my favorite meals. My wife just come back from the salon with her hair all done and makeup and just all beautiful in a new dress or something. My kids clean and sitting at the table like angels waiting for me to come home. The house is in perfect clean. Everything's clean. My drawers, my bed is made. The air conditioner's on waiting for me. There's a, 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 a my bath is poured with a little soap in it and stuff like that. Right? That's what I'm expecting. No. Yeah. No, we're ordering pizza and get a shower. I'll see you in the morning is more like it. <laughs> but David is coming home awaiting to be received by his family and his wives and his children. And he gets there to find utter destruction. Everything has been taken away from them. Everything is gone. Just complete loss. His wives and children and all his belongings have been taken. His sinful and pagan home burnt to the ground. Tribulations at time come our way because God is trying to purge our lives of the sinful nature we surround ourselves with. Pay attention to this. Now, there's a flip side. There's a flip side to all this, but I'm not going to talk about that flip side. Where tribulations in our life are just allowed for growth. Tribulations in life are allowed because God wants us to move. He wants us to He wants to move us in a different direction. We could talk about all that this morning, but today we're going to talk about how sin can bring tribulations into your life. And David has chosen sin over holiness. He has chosen chosen this route in his life, and because of it, now God is allowing this tribulation to come into his life so that he would purge himself. Rid himself of these things so that he would find that righteous path, that just path for himself that he wants. Tribulations often come to turn us back to him. I tell this story quite a bit 
about this. Um, it was a Catholic priest, and he had this, um, uh, what do you call it, where, oh, my goodness, I'm drawing a blank right now, where uh, where, where kids that, that have no parents go, an orphanage. He had an orphanage. Oh, why was I not getting that word, orphanage, okay? He, he was over this orphanage, and one day he went out, and they had a little pond behind the orphanage. And the priest goes out, and he sees this little boy who had just finished folding this makeshift paper boat. And he put it in the water, and the wind had taken his boat far, far enough to where he couldn't reach it, and he was losing it. So the little boy starts crying frequently. Uh, he starts crying frantically asking the priest to help him get his boat back. Well, the priest couldn't reach it. So the priest bends over and he grabs a handful of rocks and he starts throwing it on the other side of the boat. And the little boy, his crying got worse. I asked you to help me. What are you doing? You're trying to destroy my boat. And the priest tells him, no, look. And he throws another rock and he throws another rock. He says, I'm throwing the rocks on the other side of the boat so that the ripples and the waves will bring the boat back to us. And I feel that sometimes that's why tribulations come into our lives, because maybe God's trying to get us to come back to him. Because the Bible says in John that we are nothing without him. Tribulations sometimes come in our lives to bring us back to him. Tribulations often come to make us realize that we are not where we're supposed to be. David knew better than to be living with the Philistines, with the enemy. Tribulations often come because we have lost sight of who we are. <laughs> this king of Israel is now making friends with the enemies. Verse 6 of 1 Samuel 30 says, And David was greatly distressed for the people's sake of stoning him. Isn't that interesting? Your friends are now talking about stoning you because the soul of all the people was grieved every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord, his God. It's, 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 it's crazy how fast your friends will flip on you when things aren't going very well. When things are tough, you'd think that your friends will be the first one by your side, but sometimes they're the ones that turn their back on you the fast. Here, they're talking about stoning David. Why? Because David is being blamed for the Amalekites being able to come in in the first place. We brought this traitor in here. We brought this king of Israel in here. Now look what happened to us. We just need to do away with him. Because when things go wrong, everyone wants to find out who's at fault. Who's to blame? We'll just feel so much better if we could just blame someone. And, and that's what happens to us when we fall in sin sometimes. We want to make it everyone else's fault. We want to find reasons to blame everyone else. Well, you don't understand my life, and because of this, I turn to that. Well, I'm just really depressed. I'm just not happy. So I find solace in drinking. I find, I find solace in the arms of another person. I find solace, I find comfort in this, in that. And we just make up all these excuses to justify why we fall in sin. Why we get away from God. And that's why in this text, 
They're wanting to stone David because someone has to be at fault. David's new family and friends were prepared to kill him for no reason at all. This world is not our home. It will destroy us however it gets the chance. Just like David is in this camp amongst these people that are not his people, not his home, we need to understand as Christians, we're living in a world that's not our home. This is not our home. This is not where we belong. You could spend your whole life trying to construct this amazing world for yourself. But at the end of the day, you're not taking it with you. It's going to be left behind. David's in this world, living in this world that he doesn't belong to. Verse 7, and David said to Abiathar, the priest, Ahimelech's son, I pray thee, bring me hither the ephod and Abiathar brought thither the ephod to David. And David inquired at the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for thou shalt surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. And now you read this verse and you understand that there's certain things in here that you might not understand. Certain things in here that you don't know what it is. And I'm going to explain what they are to you right now. But David is inquiring to God. And I love the story, well, the lifeline of David, because as many times as David falls away from God, God was always so full of mercy and grace with David that he always was able to bring him back in. And David, even though he had failed God so much, he always knew where to turn to, who to turn to. And when you read the little portions of things that David says, I call them those little nuggets of things that David says through his relationship with God. There's a couple that I can really appreciate. One of the favorite things that David used to say in Psalms that I truly love is, you are my portion. I love that thought. God is my portion. I love to think that God is my portion. When I'm in need, when, I, when, when I'm hungry, and I think about the portion that I need, I, I think about God being everything I need in that moment for that moment. Because sometimes we get so overwhelmed with things that we don't realize we just need to live in the moment. Forget about tomorrow because tomorrow will have its own stress and its own anxieties. Live now. And understand that God will give you everything you need to get through now. He is your portion. Then I love what it says um, in verse. I'm sorry, I missed it. Um, said it here. I'll find it in a second and I'll repeat it. But here he's saying at the very end of verse 8, pursue them. It says, God, do I go after them? Do I go after my wives? Do I go after my children? Do I go after the enemy? He says, yes, pursue them. But I, here it talks about something interesting, the ephod. I want to show the ephod. I want to show you this picture right now. The, so the Levites who were in charge of the spiritual war, war, welfare of the children of Israel, they had a breastplate that was on their chest. And it had 12 stones that represented the 12 um children of Israel, the 12 tribes. And it was neat because today we have our little birthstones and everything. Well, each tribe, each of the 12 had their own specific stone. 
But if you read these different stones, you'll realize that the stone that David is asking for is not there. The ephod. E-P-H-O-D. There were actually two stones when he would ask, when he asked for the ephod, there were actually two stones. I'm going to show you them now. David requested the only pieces of the tabernacle that he had. The Urim and the Thummim. That's what they're called. The Urim and the Thummim. They're two stones. These were the only pieces of all of the tabernacle that David actually tangibly had in his hands that he had access to. And these two stones were so, they're so interesting. They're amazing. They were two precious stones that were hidden in the Levite priest's chest plate. They were stones that you didn't see on the chest plate, and they were actually held on the inside of the chest plate, between the chest plate and the priest's actual chest. They were hidden, and the reason they were hidden was because, and here's a picture of them, very smooth stones. They were hidden because these stones represented the inner desire of God for the children of Israel. That's a deep concept and thought. It represented the inner desires of God for the children of Israel. That's why they weren't seen. That's why they were hidden in the chest plate, behind the chest plate, on the actual priest's chest. And David was very smart in at least having that with him. And he's praying to God, and he's saying, God, I need to know what your desire is for me. He says, do I pursue them? God says, yes, pursue them. You will overtake them. It's the representation and meaning God's hidden desires are revealed through them for the children of Israel. In the middle of all his sin and distance from God, he knew who he could turn his tribulations to. God heard his cry and responded. It doesn't matter how bad your situation is. It doesn't matter how much despair you're living in right now. I doubt any of us could actually sympathize with how terrible David was feeling at this moment. He's living with the enemy. He's living in sin. He has lost his wives. He has lost his children. He doesn't know where they are. They've been kidnapped. He doesn't know what's happening to them. Emotionally, he has nothing left. And the only person he could turn to is God. But thank God he could turn to him. And that's what we need to understand. No matter how much we feel that our situation is a moment of despair, we can always turn to God. We can always turn our tribula tribulations over to him. Pursue, for thou shalt surely overtake them, and without fail, recover all. And I think that that's the hard thing for us to accept many times, is when God is allowing us or giving us a victory, is to actually pursue the victory. A couple of weeks ago, we were talking about Gideon in the 300. And how Gideon had started out with 33,000 men to go to a war. A war in which he was still vastly outnumbered. But how he was confident that he would have the victory. And then when he's dwindled down to 300, how he had lost all that security. If you remember the story of Gideon, a couple nights or a night before the war when they're going to take over the Amalekites and the different enemies that were there, there were three different groups that were waiting for him. God tells 
Gideon, if you're afraid, take your servant with you. Go down to the camp, but if you're afraid, take your servant with you. What did Gideon do? Did he go alone? No. He took the servant with him. Why? Because he was afraid. I would too. I'd be afraid too if I was him. And here you see David, and he's afraid. He doesn't know what to do. But he asked God, do I pursue them? He says, yes. You will surely overtake them. When we put our total trust in God and seek his presence, it doesn't matter what we've done. God can deliver us. In 1 Samuel 29, 9 through 15, David finds a young servant that was left by the Amalekites near death. If you have time to read that text, you go read it at home, okay? David finds this young man. He's on the verge of death. What does David do? He feeds him back to strength, and the young man takes David to the Amalekite camp. What a coincidence, huh? What a coincidence. No, it was God's providence from the beginning. He finds this young man. He feeds him. He gets him back to strength, and he takes him to the Amalekite camp. Now we jump to verse 16, and when he had brought him down, behold, there were spread abroad upon all the earth, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil that they had taken out of the land of the Philistines and out of the land of Judah. Now, understand the timeline here, because sometimes I think that we read the Bible and we just don't understand or we don't think about the timeline as much. This wasn't weeks after or months. No, for crying out loud, he's trying to find his wife and children, right? So as soon as they are kidnapped and taken away, David is looking for the next morning when he can go out and find his children. We understand that because here it says that the Amalekites were just having a big party with everything that they had stolen, with everything that they had. David rolls up on the Amalekite camp and sees them having an amazing time. Biggest party ever. Verse 17, and David smote them from the twilight even unto the evening of the next day. That's a little bit excessive if you ask me. David with, I don't know how many men he has with him. I don't know how, but it says twilight from the very evening of the, the very late night, twilight time of the evening uh, of the, the day before, all the way to the evening of the next day, he smote the enemy and there escaped not a man of them except for the 400 men that actually had a camel to flee on. In other words, if you didn't have a car, you were in trouble. David wiped out the Amalekites in less than 24 hours. The Bible says in verse 18 that David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away, and David rescued his two wives, and there was nothing lacking of them, neither small nor great, neither sons nor daughters, neither spoil nor anything that they had taken to them, David recovered all. David recovered all. That's an amazing story right there. It's pretty hard to believe for me. 
I told this story once a long time ago. I'm going to tell it again. I remember when I was a young teenager. I was probably like 17 or 18. And I went into, I lived in Santo Domingo, and I went into my favorite coffee shop to get a croissant and some coffee. And while I'm getting my croissant, this 13, 14-year-old boy comes in, and he's got a $100 bill, and he's trying to buy food. So they said that they weren't taking dollars. And I was just trying to be a good Samaritan. I said, hey, I'll help you out. I'll cash you out on $100 so that you can buy you some food. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate it. He spoke English and everything. So that gave me more confidence, you know. It's probably an American kid just out on vacation. There was a very big hotel close to that bakery, the Dominican Fiesta. So it wasn't weird for me to see foreigners in the area. I cash him out. The next day, I'm at the bank. And I take the $100 to get it cashed. And they strike it with the marker and say, this is fake. And I'm like, you're kidding me. No, it's fake. And then I was like, oh, my goodness. I just got bested by a 14-year-old. I was like, well, give me that back. She's like, nope, we can't give it back to you because if it's fake, we take it out of circulation right away. So she kept it. I was like, well, now what am I going to do? Just lost $100. Literally two or three months go by. Two or three months go by. And I remember I'm driving to go visit uh, my girlfriend back then. It was a long time ago. Sorry. It's in the past. Okay, good. So I'm going and visiting my girlfriend. She lived probably about seven, eight miles away from me, a good distance away on the other part of town. And as I'm going into the, her, her residential area, there's several apartment buildings in there. I'm turning the curve, and for some reason, I look up and back up and back, and I see this kid with this shabby, afro-ish hairdo, and I think to myself immediately, there's that little booger. It's like, literally, I caught him in the corner of my eye, and I was like, that is him. That has to be him. I remember that hair. It's gotta be him. I stop the vehicle in the middle of the road. I get out. I come up to the door, and it's a gated community. I can't get in. And right then, when I'm at the gate, a friend of my dad's that I hadn't seen since I was maybe 10 years old. This guy is, I mean, it's been at least 15 years since I've seen him, but I, I remembered him distinctly, and he remembered me. His name is Mr. Campis. He actually moved into the apartment building, so he opens the door for me. This story is getting wild. He actually lives in the same building as this kid because that's another thing. Each individual door has its own key code and you can't get it. And he just lets me in. He doesn't ask me what I'm doing there, who I'm visiting or anything. Oh, you're going in? Yeah, I'm going in. Okay, come on. I walk up to what looked to be the third floor. I think I'm at the right apartment. I knock on the door. I put my thumb on the hole just in case because I've already been suckered once. He's going to be suckered now. He opens the door and his jaw drops. And all I said was, you have 48 hours to get my money back. If not, I'm telling your parents. Sure enough, come back two days later. He's waiting for me with the money. And I recovered everything I had lost. Through such a huge coincidence. And I mean, just the fact that I saw him out of the corner of my eye 
Over 4 million people in Santo Domingo, may I remind you, very dense population, far away from where we had met. The fact that he put no, no resistance up, the fact that a childhood guy that knew me 15 years before was there and actually opened the gate for me again, then opened the door because he lived in the same building. And the fact that the kid wasn't smart enough to say, tell my parents, I don't care. You got you can't prove anything because I couldn't prove anything. I didn't have the hundred dollars. I didn't have anything. I mean, if he was smart, he would have just played dumb the whole time. What I'm saying is God orchestrated everything with David from the beginning. And it's sad to say that David, that God was constantly having to prove to David who he was. Why do you make God prove to you on a constant basis who he is? He's protected you. He's provided for you. He has given you a blessed life. All of us that are in here this morning have to realize how blessed we are. And when the tribulations roll in, we know who to go to, which is the greatest security any of us could ever have. You want to know true disparity? Be that person on the other side that has no hope, that doesn't know who to turn to that doesn't have a loving father that has promised to take care of them. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. Psalms 37, 5 from the mouth of David. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean on unto thine own understanding and all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. I know it's easier said than done. But if you're going through tribulations, if you're going through trials, if you're going through that test period in your life, turn it over to God. He will not fail you. You can trust him, but turn your tribulations over to him. Don't let the tribulations of life limit you in what you can do for God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the many ways that you bless our lives and take care of us the many ways that we can find our hope in you, the many ways that we can find grace and mercy in you. Lord, help us, help our faith to overcome us in times of tribulation. Help us have the, to have the comfort, the ease, the peace in knowing that we can go to you with our tribulations, knowing that you are the, final authority in our lives, that things are not simply left up to chance, that you are in complete control. And if we would just sit in the passenger seat, wait on you and allow you to steer our life, as the word says, we will not be embarrassed. We will shine in righteousness as your sons and daughters. We thank you in Jesus name. Amen.